Welcome to the Seattle Public Library's podcasts of author readings and library events, a series of readings, performances, lectures, and discussions. Library podcasts are brought to you by the Seattle Public Library and Foundation. To learn more about our programs and podcasts, visit our website at www.spl.org. To learn how you can help the Library Foundation support the Seattle Public Library, go to foundation.spl.org. The podcast you are about to hear was recorded in 2010. Welcome to Seattle Biblio Cafe, uh, librarians getting together on a coffee break to talk about books. Um, my name is Misha, and with me are Abby and David, and we're going to tell you about some books that we've read recently. Who's first? <laughs> Who wants to read it? I'll go first. Okay. Um, first, I would like to mention that I am drinking a soy mocha with a tiny bit of whipped cream. And the book that I want to talk about today, um, I recently read a really great science fiction novel entitled The Wind-Up Girl by Paolo Bagigalupi, um, which I did have to look up how to pronounce his name, but I think I'm saying it right. Anyway, this book came out last year. It is a fantastic book. Um, it won both the Hugo and the Nebula Award, and it's gotten tons of great reviews, and I have to say I think it deserves all the praise and accolades that have been heaped on it. Um, it's not a light read. It definitely presents a pretty grim version of the future, um, and it's a future in which the scarcity of fossil fuels and human-caused environmental disasters have basically wreaked havoc on the entire planet and taken human civilization back several hundreds of years. Uh, to make matters worse, uh, scientists who've been tinkering around with the genetic uh, makeup of various organisms have inadvertently caused a number of plagues which have wiped out several uh, crops around the globe and killed thousands of people. And basically at this point, the world's food supply rests in the hands of uh, what are called calorie companies, which are kind of like Monsanto on steroids, who have developed genetically modified disease-resistant crops, which they then sell to the world. And the first character we meet is actually an, sort of an economic hitman for one of those companies. His name is Anderson Lake, and he's in Thailand. And he is trying to discover the source of all these strange, extinct, long-extinct, exotic vegetables that have been showing up in Thai markets. And I'm talking about things like potatoes and tobacco and uh, eggplants, because all of these species have been extinct for a long time, thanks to genetic, uh, all the genetic engineering. And in the course of his investigations, he meets a very unusual young woman named Amiko. Amiko herself is a genetically modified human being. She's the wind-up girl of the title. And she has been programmed by Japanese scientists to seek out a master and obey his every whim. Um, but her master has abandoned her in Thailand, and she's in a lot of trouble because Thailand's really hot, and her pores are so small that she can't sweat properly, mm-hmm. and she's also uh, an illegal alien. Uh, the, if the environmental men- ministry knew she were in the country, they would destroy her because they see her as kind of a monstrous freak. So she has taken refuge with a kind of sleazy club owner um, who is keeping her on as sort of a freak show in exchange for safety and and water and they're just two of the characters in this huge ensemble cast that Bog Chigalupi uh, introduces to his readers what I really really 
am impressed by with his work is kind of the poetics of his language. He talks about a lot of really grim, difficult stuff, but in beautiful prose. And I really appreciate how complex all of his characters are. Even though they're flawed, he really humanizes them. Um, I think that this book would appeal to anybody who's really interested in thinking about where we're headed and what that might look at, like and what the consequences and implications will be for everyday human beings. And again, that is The Wind-Up Girl by Paolo Bagchigalupi. Is that, would you say it's good for teens and adults? or? I would recommend it more for adults. He's actually written a teen book that's also set in a similar world called Shipbreaker. Mm. And that's fantastic. It's not quite as bleak and it's not quite as adult in content. So I would recommend that one for teens. So the book I literally just finished today is Hard Rain Falling by Don Carpenter, and I discovered it on a shelf at Elliott Bay um, on their northwest uh, shelves. And I picked it up just this week, um, and it's um, been reprinted by New York Review of Books. It has an introduction by George Pelicanos, which I've been saving. I'll be reading that after this. Um, and it's it, it basically... Um, it's set in Portland and Seattle of the uh, 40s and 50s and into the 60s, and it follows um, a couple characters, but the main character is Jack Levitt, and we learn that his parents, um, his father died from being kicked by a horse, his mother killed herself thereafter, and he was abandoned to orphanages, um, he, you know, eventually got into a life of crime, ended up in prison a couple times, you know, reform school. Um, and he's just this really hard-as-nails character. When we meet him on the streets of Portland, and he, Carpenter really paints the scene. I mean, you can really feel sort of that downtown Portland, um, Hawthorne district, and, you know, these kids sort of ambling around in, in the 50s, um, living this hard life, going to pool halls. Um, the ungentrified Portland. Right, right, <laughs> ungentrified Portland. Um, a Portland that is no longer. And um, we see Jack throughout his life. Um, he is the kind of person who's kind of leading this sort of fist fight with the world through his uh, and with society and um, you really get to know sort of what he's thinking, what he's feeling, what he's not feeling, what he's um, the awful things that have been done to him, the awful things that he does and how he comes to grips with who he is, how he came to be um, and just the crime of his very existence it's a powerful um, thought-provoking. Um, I, I find myself. Uh, it's kind of an, an unexpectedly emotional book. Um, I, I kind of finished the book and I wanted to race out and talk with someone about it because its end is just so. It kind of comes full circle in a really um, wonderfully tragic way. Um, and that's "Hard Rain Falling" by Don Carpenter. My uh, the thing I just read, which is also about an outsider and also a reprint, um, is a book from 1921 uh, called "Memoirs of a Midget" by Walter de la Mer, who's not really well known today, but in his day was quite well known as a story writer and a poet. And um, I saw this book in the library. It's it's recently been reprinted. Um, it's in some ways a rather conventional story about a young woman who is who has been forced into society after her parents die. Um, on a small annuity, she has to go live in a room with a landlady and so forth, um, and and engage in things that one might find in a novel by Jane Austen or or one of the Bronte sisters or something like that. Except for the woman of the title, who is named known as Miss M, we never really learn her name, uh, is a little over two feet tall. She's a midget, and so she faces this tremendous challenge because really 
much of the book is about her simply wanting to find herself as a person and to be a person and to be in maybe a loving relationship with somebody else. Um, and yet the world can't really accept her as that or, or only does in rare little moments. Um, the world tends to view her a little bit more as a curio, an, a, a, an object for conversation, um, as a spectacle. There's an episode later in the book when she is in a circus, briefly, mercifully briefly. Um, so it, it's not what I would call a lighthearted book, but it is so profound uh, in the way it looks at life. The language is beautiful. It's very, um, you can tell that the author, who was a poet, is very careful in, in the way he chooses words and the way he paints pictures. Um, but really what's remarkable are these little apertures you get through her eyes on the world and on society. Um, she talks, at some point she compares herself to Gulliver in the land of the really big people, which is what people don't remember, Gulliver had his adventure there. Only Gulliver's adventure is temporary. He gets to go home, she doesn't. That's the world that she lives in beautifully written and not not a quick or a light read it does take some some getting used to but it's really a treasure this is one of those books that that you find in the library that is is more or less forgotten and i think is to be treasured and since it's old enough to be in the public domain it's out there online freely available for anybody who has an e-reader and wants to download it so that's another possible plus that's memoirs of a midget by walter de la Mer. Um, another book that I recently reread, which is one of my, it's really a favorite book of mine, and it's also a reprint. It was just republished. It's called Hicksville by Dylan Horrocks. It's a graphic novel um, set in New Zealand, of all places. And actually, Horrocks is from New Zealand. Um, and Hicksville is a kind of a magical place. Uh, it's a place where everybody is a passionate comics reader um, and talks about comics and reads comics with a fervor that you just don't see in most people's lives. Um, the, the local Lenning Library has this fantastic collection that includes all the very first copies of Action Comics where Superman first appeared in the 1930s, which are super rare comics. Um, people debate the, the merits of various cartoonists and people talk about their favorite mini comics it's it's a it's a place that if you love comics you kind of wish that you could go to you wish it really existed and uh the main there's a couple different storylines the main storyline centers around this journalist leonard batts who's traveled to hicksville because he's doing a biography on this american comic superstar uh dick berger who's a giant of the superhero comics industry and Dick grew up in Hicksville, so Leonard goes there to sort of research his past, and what he finds out when he gets to Hicksville, I mean, first he's sort of amazed that there's this little town where everybody is obsessed with comics, because that's not the way it is in the real world. Uh, when he mentions Berger's name, he finds he's totally stonewalled. People don't want to talk to him, they glare at him, so he is sort of trying to figure out why does everybody hate Dick Berger? Why, what did he do? That's sort of the main storyline, and then there's a couple other storylines that really, Horrocks really definitely interweaves with that story um, concerning other people in, uh, in the town who've come back after a long absence, this woman named Grace who's come back after a couple years abroad, and is sort of having these painful yet joyous reunions with lovers and friends. And then this other cartoonist who, what in a really great feat um, of cartooning, Horrocks actually has him tell his stories through his own comics. So the narrative's going along and all of a sudden um, someone will say, hey Sam, what have you been up to? And he's like, well I could tell you. 
or you could just read this mini comic that I wrote about my life. <laughs> and so then you start reading the mini comic, which is fantastic. Um, I, I think that this is a book that definitely would appeal to anybody who loves comics, but I also think because, and this is actually something that um, Seth, who's another cartoonist, said in the introduction, I think it really sums up the beauty of this book, that that Harks makes the lo- his love for comics palpable and understandable. He infuses cartooning with wonder and depth and mystery. Um, and I think he does that in a way that makes it accessible to anybody, whether you're a comics fan or not. And that is Hicksville by Dylan Horrocks. So I realized last time I didn't say it, I was drinking. Um, and oh, it's yes. uh, oh. soy mocha unsweetened. Ooh. So my next book is The Singer's Gun by Emily St. John Mandel. And she's a young Canadian author. Um, this is her second novel. Her first uh, novel debuted last year. It, that was called Last Night in Montreal. Um, but in The Singer's Gun, she um, revisits a similar kind of um, story. She's so far kind of styling herself as a literary mystery writer to some degree. And this book is about a guy named Anton whose parents were thieves. He and his cousin, um, her mother was deported, and they end up um, starting this business where they're forging um, social security cards and passports. But he has always grown up knowing that his family loved him, but he kind of wants to get out. He doesn't really want to keep doing what he's been doing. Um, He wants to live a, quote, honest life. And so in order to do that, in order to get the job of his dreams, he has to pretend that he went to Harvard. So he forges a diploma and just thinks, okay, well, I can walk away from this life because now I've got this great job. Well, it doesn't work out that way. And, you know, an agency gets uh, wind of some of the things that are going on and starts investigating him. And um, add to that the fact that his cousin asks him to do one more job that he really doesn't want to do, but she blackmails him into doing it, and he winds up on this small island in Italy. Um, There's a real sort of melancholy quality to her writing, which I really loved. Um, Yeah, just sort of haunting, beautiful prose. And that's The Singer's Gun by Emily St. John Mendel. And I just read a new collection of stories called The Surf Guru by uh, Doug Dorst. This is his second book. He has a novel called Alive in Necropolis, which I want to read next. Um, I'm always looking for kind of interesting, original, sort of edgy stories along the lines of writers like George Saunders, who's one of my favorites, or Amy Bender, or Kelly Link, some of these writers who continually surprise, Edgar Carrot. And this this uh, collection is really like that. It's also like, I kind of like two different kinds of literary stories. One is sort of gritty stories about losers, and, and there are a few stories in there that are like that, and then there are others that are wildly inventive, um, kind of bizarre, often a lot of stories about sort of artistic striving, but, but done in really highly original ways. So Doug Dorst, I think, is now on my stack of books to recommend to people who are looking for something that is surprising and odd and quirky, but definitely with heart. Um, So that's Surf Guru by Doug Dorst. And this has been Seattle Bibliocafe from Seattle Public Library. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. This podcast was presented by the Seattle Public Library and Foundation and made possible by your contributions to the Seattle Public Library Foundation. Thanks for listening.